Hello out there. Welcome to this very special edition of the Moderate Podcast for Sunday, uh, uh, November 15th, 2020. So glad to have you with us this week. And it is a special episode because it is episode number 100 of the podcast. And the music you are hearing going into the show today was the music we used on our very first episode. So I'm going to start off um, this episode by reflecting back a little bit on the podcast. And so if you'll indulge me, I appreciate that. Um, We have picked up a lot of listeners over the last few months, so you may not have heard uh, all of our episodes from the beginning. We do have some uh, dedicated listeners that have been with us from the very start. So I definitely appreciate those people, but I also appreciate the people that have come aboard over the last few months. Um, now I'm going to go through some of the episodes, some of our highlights, um, kind of a reflection on a hundred. And so, you know, there's going to be some episodes that I'm going to recommend that if you are new to the show that you go back and listen to, um, our first episode, um, launched on August 6th, 2018. Um, it was 11 minutes and 41 seconds long. So we've obviously evolved the show quite a bit since then. And, when I first started out, I was actually recording a few times a week. Um, my second episode was the very next day, August 7th. And, you know, when you start a new project like that and you're really passionate about podcasting, and I've done other podcasts before, but this is definitely the longest um, duration that I've done. I was, I was looking back through some Facebook memories and I was reminded of the show I used to do with my wife and a friend of hers. Um, her friend lived in Texas, so we were doing remote podcasting before it was a cool thing. So that was uh, that was pretty neat. And actually the sound was pretty good. I mean, all things considered, um back then it was it was really we, we did a good job of in terms of sound quality and things like that. That's something I always take a, li- a a lot of pride in 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 my show. And one of the things that I like to do is make sure that the sound quality is good. So I have a good quality mic. Um when we move to my new house in a few weeks, we're going to get a new mixer. We're going to get the Rodecaster Pro which I'm super, super excited about. I think that's going to take our sound quality and our production to a whole other level. Um, it should make it a lot easier to produce the show because I do spend a, a good amount of time in post-production um, editing sounds and, and making sure that I clean up the sound and things like that. And having a mixer that is going to do that for me um, actually on the fly while I'm recording will be a great thing. So I'm looking forward to that. Um so, you know, so in my first episode was, you know, going back to the first episode, it was about the July 2016 meeting that took place in Trump Tower with Russians. And remember that was, oh, it's about an immigration program or something like that. And then, no, actually, it turned out that it was about dirt on Hillary Clinton. And as we re- reflect through this, we're going to go through different milestones um, through that, because that was a big influence of me starting the show was the presidency of Donald Trump. That doesn't mean that now that we're an established show, we've we've kind of got a platform. Um, this show will continue even into Biden's administration, which I hate to tell you, the Trump fans out there is going to happen. Um, and you know the, we're going to talk about lawsuits. We're actually going to get into regular news later on in the show once I get through some of those reflections. Um, in my fifth episode, I did a rant about how each party is trying to out extreme each other. Um, that's called foreshadowing, apparently, because now we are certainly seeing that um, in full force today. So th- that's something that hasn't changed. 
Um, episode 11 was a special episode. We did a reflection on the life of John McCain, so that was around the time that John McCain had passed away. I spent five episodes, episodes 13 through 17, primarily talking about Brett Kavanaugh and his related um, Supreme Court hearings. So that was um, quite an adventure. Episode 18 was about democratic socialism. Um, we talked about Bernie Sanders. We talked about AOC even and um, and her rise to winning the Democratic primary at the time because that was before the midterms. Um, episode 23 was about charter schools. That was one of my all-time favorites because I got quite involved um, in, in, the, in a charter school here in my, um, my own city. And um, I got to see some of the not-so-good things about charter schools and, and some of the dirty little secrets that are out there about them. You know, we always think about these them as these great um, bastions of, of creativity and, 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 and academic success. And to a certain extent, there is some truth to that. But there is, a little, there is another side to them that um, if you listen to that show, I'll, I get into the details of, of what I had in, experienced. Um, and including my my interaction with uh, one um, child, former childhood uh, actor Tina Yethers, I actually um, had an encounter with her in 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 regards to that. So that's episode twenty three. If you want to go check that out, on episode twenty six, um, I called AOC Trump's left wing equivalent. Is that still the case? It's hard to tell. She's a firebrand, no doubt about it. And now she's going to be going into her second term in Congress. Um, so I did, I did get into her, uh, past and, and some of her backgrounds and things like that. Episode 33 is a timeless episode. That was, that's one that you could pick up today and listen to because it's about a historic event. It's about the subprime mortgage crisis. And so, um, that, that will always kind of be a relevant thing because it's about a, you know, a topic in the past and long past enough that there's really no new information that's coming in. Episode 36 was about CalPERS. Um, this is one that's also relevant today, but I may have an update to that soon. I may do an episode on CalPERS here in the future. Um, given what I do for a living, I have a great wealth of knowledge on CalPERS. So if you're, a far, if you're a fellow podcaster and you want to talk about pensions on your show, um, I, you know, not to brag or anything, but I would be a good guest for you because um, I, I do know quite a bit about CalPERS. Uh, episode 40, we took a look at the Mueller report, um, which apparently most Republican lawmakers still haven't read to this day. Um, episodes 41 through 43 were about the impeachments that we saw, or two impeachments and the third almost impeachment. And this was before even the Ukraine call that ultimately led to Donald Trump's impeachment took place. So it's not even that I talked about impeachment in the context of him getting impeached for that call. That all happened. This these episodes took place in May of 2019, so those are were I guess maybe kind of a prophecy, a little bit. Um, episode 54 is an omnibus special that combines all three of the impeachment episodes into one, and so in each of those episodes, I started off by talking about the news, and then I then I actually went into the impeachment. I talked about Andrew Johnson, I talked about Bill Clinton, and then I also talked about Richard Nixon. Um, who would have been impeached had he not been, um, had he not resigned, and he probably would have been um, actually removed from removed from office. So the articles were moving through Congress, but they didn't get that far. 
um, for it for um, for Nixon. But episode fifty four will actually combine all those three of those segments into one. So if you want to listen to that, um, you want to listen to those episodes. I recommend that you listen to episode fifty four. Um, after those three uh, impeachment episodes, forty one through forty three, we took a four and a half month hiatus. And I hadn't planned on doing that, but I just kind of was losing a little bit of passion for it, losing some time for for it, and um, I ultimately took some time off, and then I decided to come back to it. Um, my dad joined us as a co-host for a while. Um, that changed mainly because um, I changed when I record the show. It's kind of haphazard right now. Um, we may have him back as a regular guest, but we haven't had had him on as a while. There's no issues. He's fine. We're fine. We, we haven't had a falling out or anything, so don't don't think that. Um, so, you know, there's no other reason other than this. It's just the timing issue of why we haven't had on the, him on the program. So um, I hope everybody understands that and knows that. Um, um, episode 47 is still applicable today as it discusses conspiracy theories, some of the more well-known conspiracy theories and the psychology behind conspiracy theories. So that's another one that I highly recommend if you're a new listener. Episode 62 was a personal one for me, a special one for me, in which I talked about the SoCal freeway system. For some reason, I have this obsession with roads and the history of them and things like that. It's just one of my weird quirks. And um, California has changed quite a bit from the freeway system, especially, especially Southern California, has changed quite a bit from the freeway system they had planned and what's actually in place. And so I get into the history of that and why California has these notorious bottlenecks in and why its its freeway system doesn't flow very well, and has to do with um, nimbyism and 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 social justice and funding, and you know that's one big thing that we always talk about in California is the funding for roads and gas tax and things like that. And I get into how that all works as well, and why we pay what we pay, and why California Southern California's freeway system is the way it is. So it's a really, if you're into that kind of thing, and it's kind of a public policy wonk session too, so if you're into that kind of thing, I recommend episode 62. Um, ep- episode 63 was a, was a landmark a little bit. It was on March 1st, 2020, and that was our first discussion on the coronavirus. That's the, that's the first time it came up on this program, and we spent quite a bit of time on the coronavirus on this um, program. Um, I believe episode 79 was one of my best episodes. It's one of our longest. And I talked about the race problem in America. And I took both sides to task for not properly addressing the issue. And I think that what I said back then, I mean, it's not that not that, that was that long ago. It was only you know five months ago or so. But it's still relevant to today because it was in the wake of the George Floyd uh, murder. And we you know, we talked about how each side approaches race in this country and how it's not productive for anybody. So we did get into that. And I thought that, um, I, I felt like I made a pretty compelling argument as to why we are where we are today and how both sides have culpability and why, um, things are perpetuating the way they are. So that's another one that I recommend that people that are new to the program, although, Maybe most people nowadays have heard that. We may not have had gotten a lot new listeners in the last five months, but if you haven't listened to that one, it's one I highly recommend as well. Um, we've had the kids, uh, my, my three children, on the show um, several times as guests. Um, the last time they were on was on July 5th for episode number 81, 
and we will um, probably bring them back on uh, once I have the new uh, setup at my new home. Um, we're like I said, I'm really excited about it because we got I got a whole layout. Um, you know, I'm gonna get my, my all my cables organized, and I'm not gonna have to run all these, you know, USB um, audio cards and things like that that I have to use to kind of put the show together. Um, because I'll have a, a good mixer that's made for podcasting. So I'm again, I, I, I can't even tell you how I'm excited I am for that. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really, really stoked. And so when, when we have that set up, um, we will have them on um, the show. And uh, lastly, episode 85 um, was about how close the 2020 election was looking to be. And it talked about how Trump was going to dispute, dispute it if he lost. And it turns out that maybe um, I was right there as well. So I've, there are some things that I've been way off on, like the 2018 midterms I've talked about in the program a few times already. Um, I was way off on those. I thought that the Republicans were going to hold on to the House. They obviously didn't. It wasn't even close. So, um, you know, 2020 rolls around. They still didn't hold on to that. They still didn't gain the House back, but they they made it closer. Um, And you know, that's a testament to to Donald Trump, to be honest with you. Um, I, you know, I think that people have the opportunity to still vote Republican and not vote for Donald Trump. And I think the 2018 um, reflect or, or midterms was definitely a referendum on, on Donald Trump. And that's why the, the, the Democrats did so well. Now that Trump was on the ballot, you could vote against him you didn't necessarily have to vote for Joe Biden, but you could vote. You didn't have to vote for Donald Trump, and you can kind of give him the. If anybody that didn't vote for Donald Trump, a lot of times it's just giving him the middle finger, right? I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I didn't vote for Joe Biden as well. Um, I voted for Joe Jorgensen, as I've shared before. Um, but I did vote for Republicans down the ballot. And so that did um, change things. And, and part of that is because I felt that. Joe Biden had a good chance to win. I had predicted that Joe Biden was going to win. And I'm not going to get into my predictions yet and compare them to actual results until we have certification because there's still lawsuits going on. Things can change. Probably won't change um, as much as the Trump campaign and the and the most loyal, loyal Trump followers want it to. But it's still, you know, it's still not settled. And so until it is actually certified, the Electoral College meets then I will kind of go back and reflect on my predictions and where I maybe maybe got went wrong. And we'll kind of do what we did with the prediction show in that we analyzed the polls and compared it to actual results. And we'll have those, those actual results by then. And that will help us then determine how close the polls were and, and what this does to the polling industry going forward. So we'll dedicate an episode to that um, probably sometime in December. So again, um, it is really special to be to have made it to 100 episodes on this podcast, and I I didn't think I would actually last this long to be honest with you because I've started like I said I've done other podcasts before I did a bowling podcast that lasted somewhere in the 60s before um, that went went away I probably would have stuck with it I'd stop bowling though and I stopped bowling competitively around that time because my kids were born my you know and my daughter was on the way. So I had my boys, the daughters on the way, and so I just didn't have time to bowl as much. So since I wasn't bowling as much, it was really hard to keep up with what was going on in the industry. And so that's why I lost that one. But I had a really pretty strong following um, on that podcast. Um, you know, I had 
well over a thousand listeners, um, probably, you know, well over that because I was um, sponsored by a national bowling company um, that makes bowling balls. So, um, and they would give me balls. I was actually on their staff. So they would give me balls to evaluate. I um, interviewed the commissioner, the now former commissioner of the PBA um, during that show. And, um, but it still didn't last as long as this one has. And um, this one is truly a hobby. I I, know, I don't have nearly the numbers I did on that um, particular podcast, um, and I go by a different name. Obviously, I don't go by my real name um, on this podcast, as I've shared before, because um, you know I don't want to get doxxed, and I don't want to, um, quite frankly, um, I I don't want to, um, you know, risk my my job because in my job I have an apolitical job. And I do a good job of that. I, I, I'm good at separating my, pol- my personal politics from that of the city council, the staff, things like that. Um, I have a job to do. My job is to implement policy that the, that the, um, you know, that the, the council puts forth. Um, I recommend policy, you know, in certain areas. And, um, and, that, and, that's, and, and, and I don't let my own personal politics play a role in how I carry out my job. So that's why in order to do this podcast and do it well, I feel like I have to keep some sense of anonymity. So that's why I don't use my my real name on this show. And maybe one day I'll reveal it. Um so but I I'm not going to I'm not going to do that uh anytime soon. So let's just put it that way. So um anyway, again, I thank you all for being listeners to the show. But Enough about me. The news must go on. So when we come back, we're going to talk about, we're going to get into the regular news. We're going to have a regular show. It's going to be an abbreviated quote unquote regular show because we did spend time here reflecting on the first 100 episodes of this of this podcast. So when we come back, we're going to get into the regular news. So stay tuned. You're listening to The Moderate Podcast on Anchor.fm. Today's episode is brought to you by Restaurant.com. With Restaurant.com, you can save at thousands of restaurants across the country with just a few clicks. Their dining deals range from $5 to $100, never expire, and cost you a fraction of the face value. Dinner's never been easier with Restaurant.com, used for dine-in, takeout, or delivery. Restaurant.com is offering our listeners 50% off their next purchase by going to www.restaurant.com podcast. That's www.restaurant.com slash podcast for 50% off your next purchase. Restaurant.com, the best deal every meal. Welcome back to the Moderate Podcast, episode number one hundred for this Sunday, February or November fifteenth, twenty twenty. February. I don't know why I said February. I almost said it at the beginning of the show too. I don't know what my what my problem is. So as I said, we do have some news to get to, and there's going to be actually some talk about news other than the election and other than Donald Trump. But of course, we do have to update you on Donald Trump. I mean, there's no avoiding it, right? 
So, but before I get into that, I do want to issue a little bit of a correction from um, the main Senate race, at least my um, my analysis of the main Senate race. And um, a listener from Maine actually uh, reached out to me and said, hey, you know, just so you know, um, you know, you look at the, it's a little bit misleading to look at the, um, the to look at the percentages of the vote in Maine because they use ranked choice voting. And so ranked choice voting, basically what that does is it allows you to kind of combine the primary election where in the in the runoff election in the same um in the same thing. It's kind of it's a little bit how the caucuses work. Um it's it's a little bit of similar principle. And basically what that means is you know, in the caucuses, look at the Iowa caucus, for example, if you have to get some measure of, of viability in order to be able to continue in the process, and then those people that are in a camp that, um, you know, didn't meet the viability uh, threshold, which is usually about 15%, um, they can then pledge their support to another candidate. And the other candidates, you know, try to woo them for that. Well, ranked choice voting is a little bit similar in that you get to kind of rank your choices. So you can have your first choice, second choice, third choice. You can only, you may only want to vote for one person. So you just, you know, I really like this person and that's who I'm voting for. And I don't have a second or third choice. But if you're like, eh, okay, if this person doesn't have a chance, then I, I want to vote for this person. And if this person doesn't have a chance, then I'd vote for this person. And so what they do is if somebody doesn't get at least 50% of the vote, which, by the way, it's looking like Susan Collins will have 50% of the vote. So um, I'm going to take a look real quick at the um, the results here and see where we're at in Maine. Um, but, you know, right now, she yeah, she's still at 51.1%. So if, if Susan Collins... And Sarah Gideon, by the way, is at forty-two point two percent. So this is their this is their percentage based on the first choice. So let's say Susan Collins didn't meet that fifty percent threshold. Let's say she was at forty-nine percent. So that would then lead the vote once it's all done, once all the votes are counted, that would lead to a ranked choice runoff. And so what you do is you take the first choice of everybody, and you eliminate the lowest person. The persons with the lowest votes that's eliminated, their their second choice, whoever that per, you know, the person that selected you know candidate D, let's say, let's say there's four candidates and candidate D had the lowest number of votes, so candidate D is eliminated. So then the second choice of candidate D, then goes to the person to another person because let's say they chose candidate A as their second choice. So now candidate D. Anybody that voted their second choice or candidate A, that vote now goes to candidate A. And candidate, let's say candidate um, C now is the lowest vote total. Then the, you know, if, if, if I voted for candidate D first and then candidate C second, then I have a third choice. Let's say it's candidate B. So if candidate D is eliminated, I go, okay, my vote goes to candidate C. Well, now candidate C was eliminated, so now it's going to go to A or B because that was my third choice. And so it continues like this until you either have two people left or someone hits that 50% threshold. Once someone hits the 50% threshold, it's over. Or until somebody's 
there's only two candidates left, at which point someone has to have over 50%. And that method is gaining traction. Alaska looks like it may be a state that ends up selecting their president that way. And it would be interesting to see how that would actually play out. Because for one thing, if let's say, um, you know, you wanted to vote third party, or let's say you you really didn't like Donald Trump, so you're going to give all your choices to anybody but Trump, and you're never going to select him. So, you know, you could vote for the libertarian candidate first. Um, then let's say the libertarian candidate loses, and then you want to go to the, you know, the you know, let's say you're Green Party, then you're Libertarian, then you go to the Democrat before you go to the Republican. Um, there are instances where you may get the first, the, the, num- the highest number of first choice votes, but you could still lose the election in ranked choice voting. Because if you're so hated, that this, this forces you not only to just be the least of the, of the lesser of the two evils, it still, it still requires you to try to actively try to get um, people or people, you know, to vote for, for, to vote for you. And so libertarians have been pushing ranked choice voting for a long time. So anyway, they do vote for uh, their Senate uh, seat in that way in Maine. So that is uh, partially of the reason that you have, um, th- that the result could be, it looks like Susan Collins won with 9%. But as the, as the, as the person um, pointed out from Maine, that if you were go- to go to ranked choice voting, that gap may be smaller. It may be around maybe three or four points, perhaps. So anyway, thank you for, um, I'm not going to give her give her name out, but I appreciate you pointing that out um, for me. Okay, so let's talk about um, some updates on Trump. So Trump, you know, is getting pretty desperate, and this was reported um, from the New York Times. So, you know, again, I know people, it's fake news, you know, whatever. Um. According to the, you know, he's trying to now throw out, you know, he, you know, we, we know about the lawsuits. We're going to talk about the lawsuits and where those are at in a moment. But he's also looking for other possibilities of maybe staying in, 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 um, in power. At a meeting Wednesday at the White House, President Donald Trump had something he wanted to discuss with his advisors, many of whom had, wh- whom have told him his chances of succeeding at changing the results of the 2020 election are thin as a reed. He then proceeded to press them on whether Republican legislatures could pick pro-Trump electors in a handful of key states and deliver him the electoral votes he needed. He needs to change the math and give him a second turn, according to the people briefed on the discussion. Now, that is a scary possibility. Now, to be clear, um, they, they state here, it was not a detailed conversation or a really serious one, the people briefed on it said, nor was it reflective of any obsessive desire of Trump's to remain in the White House. But the fact that that's even going through his mind that, well, you know, maybe we can just get them to vote me, you know, the, you know, the, the legislatures to appoint electors for me anyway, even though, even if I lose all these legal challenges. The fact that he's even floating that possibility is the is the is the markings of a of a wannabe dictator don't you think i mean that is you know if you want to talk about election fixing that's it oh excuse me <clears throat> um so that is the makings of something that a dictator would do 
Um, there is no grand strategy at play, according to interviews with the half dozen advisors and people close to the president. Trump is simply trying to survive from one news cycle to the next, seeing how far he can push his case against his defeat and ensure the continued support of his Republican base. Because that's true, because if he were to come out and say, you know what, I lost, congratulations to Joe Biden, we're going to do everything you can to transition things over, that's going to kill his image to his millions and millions of his most loyal followers. And, it, and, it, and to be sure, I don't even think it's a majority of that 71 million people that voted for him or 72 million, whatever the number ends up being. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it is maybe 60% of that, 60, 70% of that number. I do know a good number of people that voted for Trump that are not, definitely not like total MAGA people, is, as we would call them. Um, they voted for, for him for their own reasons, and they were reasons that benefited them. Because at the end of the day, you know, the left wants to push us to vote for things that, you know, like, you know, well, you need to vote this way because this candidate believes in blah, blah, blah. Well, that doesn't affect me. Well, it doesn't matter because, you know, but he's going to raise my taxes. That doesn't matter. It, it affects me. So people want me to f vote for what is beneficial for them to my own detriment. And a lot of people are like, no, 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 no. I ain't doing that. You know, screw you. I am going to vote for who I think is going to be the best person for me. Now, having said that, sometimes you have to kind of look beyond that because you may have unintended consequences that actually then might be detrimental to your situation and actually makes it worse for you because even though they promoted a policy that was maybe something that you would be into because of other things they've done, now it prevents them from doing what they were going to do or it backfired and actually made things worse. For example, the stock market. So if Trump in a second term were to become highly unstable and doing all these things that because he doesn't have to worry about being reelected and doing whatever the hell he wants and the stock market freaks out because of it, now you thought that he was going to you know, make the economy strong, he actually made it weaker because of the actions he was taking on something completely unrelated to the economy because this is how the stock market reacts. It's very schizophrenic. So, you know, I want, you know, part of what makes the stock market work is stability. And if Trump becomes too unstable, you may not get the the, the result that you thought you would with him, Be, especially when you look, because remember, past performance is not a, a determination of future results, right? That's what they always tell you. The first thing they tell you about it, investing. Just because company X their stock price went up 20% last year doesn't mean it's going to come up, go up 20% next year, right? So it's the same principle. But having but the having said that, the bottom line is that I do get why a good number of people voted for Trump and it has nothing to do with make America great again type of, you know, rhetoric. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with they saw the results for themselves. It was good and that's why they voted for him. And that and that makes sense to me. And I'm sure there's plenty of people in that in that in that boat of that 71 million people that voted for Donald Trump. Um, the president has insist has insisted to aides that he really defeated Joe Biden on November 3rd, but it's unclear whether he actually believes it. The latest was Thursday when he falsely claimed on Twitter that Dominion, which will I don't, I don't know if we're gonna talk about that again, which wouldn't and claims that claim that Dominion voting machine switched hundreds of thousands of his votes to Joe Biden. 
citing a report that he had seen on the fringe network OANN, or the One America News Network, something even his supporters called ridiculous, and a federal agency overseeing cybersecurity disavowed in a statement. As a next step, Trump is talking seriously about announcing that he is planning to run again in 2024, aware that whether he does, does or not, it will freeze an already crowded field of possible Republican candidates. And Republicans say it would it will keep the wide support he showed even in defeat and could guarantee a lucrative book deal or speaking fees. Even Karl Rove now is coming out and going, okay, all right, all right, I think the charade's pretty much up. So he's the he was obviously the architect of, of President George W. Bush's presidency and an informal advisor to Trump. He wrote in the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday that closing out this election will be a hard but necessary step toward restoring some unity and political equilibrium. He added that after Trump's days in court are over, the president should do his part to unite the country by leading a peaceful transition and letting grievances go. I don't see that happening at all. I, I cannot see him making a 180 and all of a sudden being supportive here. It just does, It's just not going to happen. The president's goal for now is to delay certification of the election results, a process, process that has become in, begun in some states, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. But his approach to lawsuits aimed at delaying that certification has been scattered as his own thinking about the future. Advisors say there, there may a bit be additional lawsuits filed, but it is not entirely clear when. It is also not clear who is leading the legal efforts. Rudy Giuliani, um, Trump's personal lawyer, has been a source of enormous frustration for Trump advisors. Advisors have tried to tell Trump that the fraud Giuliani is offering hope, is offering hope of pr proving simply does not exist. Trump is suggesting Trump is getting suggestions from an array of other lawyers as well. They include Sidney Powell, the lawyer, um, the lawyer for his former national security advisor, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, who was also at the Trump campaign headquarters over the weekend. Advisors have nudged the president to stop talking about fraud because that has legal implications that his team has not been able to back up. So Trump has taken to pronouncing the election rigged one of his favorite words, but one with dangerous implications in terms of his own supporters' view of the election's ultimate outcome. So again, when you use that term rigged, and then you can't prove that it was rigged, then you can just fall back on the old faithful, the deep state. Because the deep state is something that you can, it's a very abstract um, concept, and it's something that you can always fall back on. It's something that he can always fall back on, and people believe it because people don't trust the government. And that didn't start with Donald Trump. He just took advantage of that and exploited it. I tell, I'm telling you, he's a work. And the and his people, the 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 biggest MAGA supporters, they're marks, and they're falling for it hook, line, and sinker. That's all this is about. So what about those lawsuits? What, what, what's going on there? I mean, there, there are lawsuits out there, so let's take a look where we are with those. And there are quite a few to go through. Most of them are in Pennsylvania, a few in other states. But the problem here is that even if he is throwing all these darts at Pennsylvania, even if he's successful there, that's not going to be enough. Because as of right now, um, Biden's at 306. And that's, you know, with the, the media calling. But that is based on where the vote totals are right now. Well, that could change. You know, there could be a flip in one of these states. Arizona is probably the most prominent among those that could happen. But even if 
Arizona were to somehow flip to to um to Trump because that was the only state where the vote where Biden's lead was shrinking. So that's when that would be probably the only one that had a viable chance to be flipped. But that would only take Biden down to uh, 295. Well, all these challenges in Pennsylvania would put Biden, even if it were somehow to flip to Trump, that would still put Biden at 275. So he'd still have to prove state somewhere, something else. So he has to prove at least two states. If, if there was a possibility that he flips Pennsylvania and Georgia, then we're in for a doozy. Because that, I believe, let me try to do the math here. So with 306, um, no, that wouldn't matter. That wouldn't matter because 306 minus 20 is 286. And then Georgia is at 16. That would be 270. And that would still, Biden would still win, 270 to 268. So he's got to get at least three states to flip, three states to flip his way in order to make this thing work. So let's see where he's at with these. The day after election day, the campaign filed a lawsuit alleging observers were not allowed to meaningfully watch the vote count in Philadelphia County. A Philadelphia judge, Pennsylvania judge on November 5th, granted the Trump's uh, campaign's request to observe poll workers as they process the remaining ballots. The city of Philadelphia promptly filed an appeal on that one. And another one alleging that its poll watchers were not allowed being allowed to properly observe the vote count as previously granted, the Trump campaign filed a federal lawsuit the evening of November 5th intending to stop the Philadelphia vote count. A judge ultimately denied this request. The Trump campaign filed another lawsuit the same day in state court alleging that Pennsylvania Secretary of State Kathy Bukvar, Bukvar, Bukvar I think that's right, um, illegally extended a deadline for mail-in voters f- to supply any missing ID requirements from November 9th to November 12th. A judge ordered the Pennsylvania State Department to further segregate any, any mail-in ballots with missing voter ID information provided after November 9th. So that was a win for the Trump campaign. Also the same day, the campaign's legal team filed a motion to join a pending lawsuit brought by the Pennsylvania GOP seeking to challenge a three-day mail ballot deadline extension that the U.S. Supreme Court upheld late last month. In response, Pennsylvania Democrats and Bukvar asked the, the Supreme Court to deny Trump's request to formally join the case. In a filing the evening of November 5th, Bukvar argued that Trump has not provided any justification for being added at this stage because it already went to the Supreme Court. So it's like, well, where else are you going to go from there? Um, November 5th, the Trump campaign filed a petition in Montgomery County seeking to invalidate nearly 600 absentee and mail-in ballots that lacked complete address information. On November 13th, a judge denied the petition. On November 6th, a Pennsylvania Republican sought an emergency order from the Supreme Court mandating that late-arriving ballots not be counted. The state Republicans argued that in the filing that Bookvar's Guidance that the ballots are not showing up in the tallies is non-binding on county boards and claims that 25 of 67 Pennsylvania counties haven't haven't indicated whether they are abiding by it and in fact segregating the late late arriving votes. Later that day, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Samuel Alito issued an order requiring that all Pennsylvania county boards of election segregate late arriving mail ballots pending further order from the high court. 
Later on Saturday, November 7th, Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro informed the U.S. Supreme Court that contrary to Republican stated concerns, all the state's counties have been complying with the Pennsylvania Secretary of State's guidance to segregate late-arriving mail-in ballots. The move seemed to suggest that Alito's order late Friday was not necessary since the counties were already doing the segregation. On November 7th, the day that um, Biden became the apparent winner of Pennsylvania, Trump's lawyer, Rudy Giuliani, vowed to file, he vowed to file a lawsuit on Monday to challenge the conduct of election officials in the state. Giuliani alleged that the Trump campaign was deprived of the ability to watch the ballots being processed. He said the campaign would make similar allegations in other states that could lead to the campaign to make the case of a massive nationwide lawsuit. On November 9th, the Trump campaign filed a catch-all lawsuit in U.S. District Court in Pennsylvania, asking the court to prohibit the state from certifying the election or at least the over 680,000 mail-in ballots cast in Pennsylvania. The lawsuit focuses on the mail-in ballot proce- ballots processed in the Democratic-leaning counties of Allegheny and Philadelphia. Well, Allegheny is where Pittsburgh is, by the way. and argues that Pennsylvania Secretary, Secretary of State Bukvar created an illegal two-tier voting system that subjected in-person voters to greater burdens or scrutiny than those who voted by mail. A contingent of the nation's largest public interest and civil rights groups on November 10th asked a U.S. District Court judge to allow them to join the state of Pennsylvania in fighting the Trump campaign's latest lawsuit. The ACLU, NWACP, the League of Women Voters, and Common Cause were among the the groups saying they represented some 50,000 voters who cast ballots by mail. A federal judge has set oral arguments in the case for November 17th, that's this Tuesday, and an evidentiary hearing on Thursday. Until then, the Trump legal team asked the court or court on November 12th for a temporary restraining order and preliminary injunction barring the defendants from certifying the results of the general election. And that's to basically put a hold on the safe harbor deadline of December 8th, because otherwise the court won't be able to do anything about it by then. That's why they're doing that. And again, so now they're talking about this two-tier voting system. The problem is, is that I, I don't know where this is going to go because they still have to have hearings on it and stuff. But my main thing would be like, well, anybody could have voted by mail, though. I mean, the people that voted in person chose to do that. They had the option to vote by mail. It's not like certain people could only vote by mail. Anybody in the state could have done done so. So I don't see how it creates a two-tier voting, but I'm not an attorney, so I don't know how that's going to turn out. Um, Bukvar filed a motion on November 12th to, to dismiss this lawsuit, arguing that much of the case has already been decided in earlier state and federal cases. The court should deny plaintiffs desperate and unfounded attempt to interfere with that process and should dismiss the complaint with prejudice, the secretary concluded in the memorandum. On November 11th, the Trump campaign filed six new cases in, in Pennsylvania. Five were brought in Philadelphia County and asked the judge to throw out more than 8,000 ballots they say meet technical deficiencies, such as missing street addresses or no date next to the signature. Each case focuses on a different category of ballot that the county agreed to count. A sixth case filed in nearby Bucks County asked the court to toss out 2,880 ballots that they argue are invalid due to late arrival and other defects. Now, I have a question. They argued that they weren't able able to meaningfully uh, observe the count in Pennsylvania, yet they're able to come up with all of these lawsuits that find all of these these deficiencies. If they couldn't 
observe the vote, then how the hell did they find these, these deficiencies? I'm just saying. I'm just asking. So those are all the cases right now. No, on November 13th, this past Friday, a judge denied all five of the Philadelphia law, County lawsuits, affirming the count of a total of 8,329 absentee and mail-in ballots. So there you go. The one Bucks County is still pending, but that's only 2,800 votes. Even if you got all those thrown out, it still doesn't change the result because the result is a lot larger than that. And you could find some things that ultimately get thrown out. Um, is it going to be to an extent that, uh, is it, number one, is it going to be all Biden votes? We don't know that. And number two, is that going to lead to a big enough number that would overturn the election in Pennsylvania? Maybe, maybe not. But you would also need to not only change Pennsylvania, you're going to have to change two other states too. So let's talk about Georgia. Georgia had only one uh, lawsuit. The Trump campaign filed a lawsuit with the along with the Georgia Republican Party on November 4th in Chatham County, seeking to order the county to compile, store, and account for all ballots received after the state's deadline of 7 p.m. on Election Day. Chatham County uh, Judge James Bass dismissed the suits during a hearing on the following morning, citing a lack of evidence that the ballots referenced in the petition were received after the deadline. So again, if you're going to make allegations, you have the burden of proof. The, def the, the defendant doesn't have the burden of proof. The, the plaintiff has a burden of proof. So if they're going to allege that these came, came out the after, after the deadline, okay, prove that they came in after the deadline. Well, we just think they need to prove that they didn't. No, that's not how this works. By them counting it, they're affirming that the, the ballots were, were received before the deadline. So therefore, you have to prove otherwise. That's how this works. They're not, you know, they, they want all of these, the, all these cases to get them to prove what they're doing, even though their actions are basically affirming that that's what they're doing. And if you're going to say that they're not doing it, you have to prove that. They don't have to prove that. You can't prove a negative. And that's what, that's what arguing with, with, with the most sycophant Trump fans is, is so mind-numbing and so frustrating because they want you to prove that their allegations are false. No, you have to prove that your allegations are true. So then they give me these videos of random people. I could just go film a video of, of, of random, you know, I could print some ballots out, light them on fire, and say, look, I'm burning a bunch of ballots that are voted, that are Trump votes. Oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> that's, that's, that's their quote unquote proof. It's like, well, wait a minute. I mean, so all these all these things have been debunked, but anyway, uh, here's Michigan. On November fourth, the Trump campaign filed a lawsuit in state court asking the vote that vote counting stop until courts can enforce rules that permit campaign observers to watch the ballots being opened and counted. The campaign alleged that poll workers were being denied close up access to observe vote counting at locations in Detroit. A judge in Michigan said the afternoon of November 4th that she would deny the plea largely on the basis that the counting there had is already largely done. So there's another one. On November 6th, Judge Cynthia St Stevens um, issued a form her formal order denying the Trump campaign's request to halt counting in Wayne County, which includes Detroit, sp uh, specifically citing the lack of evidence and detail uh, provided by the campaign. On the weekend after election day, the a lawsuit was filed in Detroit by two poll observers, also known as challengers, alleging a wide range of 
a range of uh, fraud claims. The suit, which includes affidavits signed by five poll challengers and one city of Detroit employee, asks officials to void the election and order a new one in Wayne County. Now, the problem I have with that is they say, like, oh, we have all these signed affidavits and they're, they're sworn affidavits and that therefore they, they would get in trouble if they perjured themselves. Here's the issue with that. These affidavits are so vague. They're, they're on second, based on second and third hand knowledge that proving, uh-huh, proving perjury would be almost impossible. And they know that. They know that. So that's why you can perjure yourself without risking being prosecuted for perjury because it would be almost impossible to uh, determine if they indeed perjured themselves based on hearsay and based on that. That's why a lot of these are getting thrown out. It's not because they're lying in their affidavits. It's that their affidavits aren't concrete enough evidence to show that something actually happened because it's all hearsay. So that's why these these affidavits are going nowhere. And you can get thousands of people to sign an affidavit. You can get as many people as you want to sign an affidavit. But because if you write it in such a way that it's so vague that there's no way you'd be able to be prosecuted, You'll do it because you want you're you're so obsessed with getting Donald Trump elected that you'll go ahead and do that because you know that there's the risk of perjury of a perjury charge is very very low. That's why it's easy to do that. Um, on November 10th, the Trump the Trump uh, campaign filed a new lawsuit seeking to halt the certification of election results in Michigan until the campaign can ensure that it was fair. It includes affidavits from over 100 poll challengers who allege instances of fraud across the state. Many of these have already been publicly debunked by state officials. So there you go. There you go. Oh, I saw a video on YouTube. So therefore, I'm going to sign an affidavit. Yep, I witnessed this thing. And being duped by a, a, a YouTube video is not perjury, too, because you can just say, hey, I believe that to be true. And, and that's not perjury. If you believe it to be true, that's not perjury. Even if it's, you know, even if, if I look at the sky and say the sky is orange and they're going to say, no, you're lying. And it's like, well, no, it looks orange to me. Well, you can't, you don't know if I'm not, if I'm colorblind and I can't see the color blue and it looks orange to me. You can't, you don't know that. That's why, that's why these affidavits are like, oh, we have all these affidavits. That's, that's meaningless. That's meaningless because people can write affidavits in a way that, they're not perjuring themselves because they're writing what they believe or writing what they heard. And, you know, they can't, I couldn't dispute whether they heard something or not. How the hell, how the hell would I be able to prove that they perjured themselves in that, in that instance? That's why this is so stupid. Arizona and Nevada also have lawsuits outstanding. The Trump campaign and, and RNC filed a motion November 5th to intervene in an Arizona lawsuit that raises issues with the use of Sharpies on ballots in Maricopa County and other regions of the state. The case was brought by a woman who claimed that a voting machine failed to properly read her vote after she was provided a Sharpie to fill out her ballot at her polling place. A judge ordered parties in the case to decide on a path forward and presented it to her on November 6th. The plaintiffs dropped the lawsuit without prejudice the following day, court records show. In a new lawsuit on November 7th, so basically they said they probably figured, ah, we don't like this judge, we want another judge, because on November 7th, the Trump campaign and the RNC alleged that votes were improperly rejected, bringing up similar issues to the dismissed Sharpie lawsuit. They claimed that potentially thousands of voters across Maricopa County have been disenfranchised by systematic pro improper tabular, uh, tabulator overrides. 
The Arizona Secretary of State and Maricopa County election officials have repeatedly said that Sharpies do not pose an issue for the tabulation equipment. And here's, here we go in Nevada. On November 5th, the Trump campaign announced it was filing a lawsuit in federal court in Clark County over voter fraud. The lawsuit filed later that day by Nevada GOP groups alleged that lax procedures for authenticating mail-in ballots over 3,000 instances of or resulted in over 3,000 instances of ineligible individuals casting ballots. A Nevada court judge, a district court judge denied the emergency request on November 6th. Judge James Gordon said he didn't think the plaintiffs came to the court with sufficient evidence to get what is required of the extraordinary relief of an injunction that would get him to dictate how Clark County should do their job. So that is the status of all these lawsuits. Now, does anybody out there think that he there, there is enough evidence to now overturn? These are things that are actually in court. You can you can say everything you want on Twitter and on social media and make all these allegations you want. You're not under oath on any of those platforms. You can say whatever you want. Rudy Giuliani can say whatever he wants. Um, uh, what's her face? Uh, oh, uh, Sydney Powell can go on Fox News and say whatever she wants. And she prefaces her statement by saying, I never say anything I can't prove. Well, wait, 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 wait. Why are you even telling us that? Usually when saying, I never lie, I've never told a lie, and then they proceed to lie to your face. Most people that preface what they're saying with, well, I never say anything that isn't true or that I can't prove. Why are you saying that? Why are you prefacing it by that? Oh, well, she said that, so must be true now. Well, it's like, well, she's not under oath on, you know, on Maria Bartolomo's show. So who the hell cares? What a uh. so these people are just a joke. I mean, honestly, like, look, I, I there are some things that make me nervous about a Biden presidency. Okay, I don't think it's going to be as extreme as people are are making it out to be, but I do have some concerns of how it's going to affect me. I do, and how it may, how it may affect my parents. But at the end of the day. We have a system in place. I, I really find it really hard to believe that with all the scrutiny and all the lead up to the election, that with all the fraud that was being alleged or that alleged was going to happen, the result happened where what we thought was going to happen, and then they're still alleging fraud. And so it would be ballsy. It would be really, really difficult to coordinate all these different people to get on these on this conspiracy. I mean, it, it would be it would probably take a larger operation to have defrauded the vote by this much. And by the way, defrauded the vote in a way that Republicans still did well everywhere else except for the presidency. And, you know, if you're going to commit fraud, commit fraud all the way. I mean, they would have made it probably look a little bit better than they did. What people don't, what MAGA people don't realize is that there are lots of people that just hate Donald Trump. It's not that they like socialism and they want Joe Biden as president. They just don't want Donald Trump. This is probably the most, the, 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 the more than any other election in the history of this country was a referendum on a sitting president. 
I think 2004, Bush, 2012, you know, you look at all of the mid, you know, the, the, the sitting presidents that were running for re-election. And there was probably elements of, you know, it being a referendum on that sitting president. But none, I think, have, have been a bigger acute focus for so many voters, which is why turnout was so much higher than it was in 2016. Because it was a referendum on Trump. That was the bottom line. And so we knew the fraud allegations were going to come. We knew they were going to be far-fetched. And it would take a, you know, if you believe in the moon conspiracy theory, like the moon landing, that it was all staged, it would have taken a hell of a lot more people in a hell of a lot more departments. Because remember, this isn't the federal government. This is state and local governments. And so if you're saying that the state and local governments, something that I know a thing or two about, by the way, are part of this deep state conspiracy, I mean, that's just ridiculous. So I look forward to the days where we can talk about policy on this show and we can, we can dissect things and actually look things objectively um, because I'm tired of the Trump bashing. I'm tired of having to talk about this guy all the time. And I'm looking forward to a time that we don't have to talk to him and we can actually talk about substantive issues rather than these ridiculous, frivolous lawsuits. But it is part of our national story. And it's something that we can't avoid. I mean, we can talk about other things. And I, I did plan, I really did plan to talk about other things. I'm going to have to get to them next week because we ran out of time. I spent too much time on it again because it takes up so much of our damn time. And I'm looking forward to the, to the, idea, to the day where, number one, I can make the show shorter. And number two, we can actually talk about substantive things that actually mean something to our everyday lives. Because as much as we think that the presidential election affects our everyday lives, it really doesn't. There are some major things that it does affect, and it could affect us in the long run. But we're not paying attention to the right things in our, in our discourse. And it's causing ugliness and division that then seeps into other debates that really where it doesn't belong, because it has nothing to do with those things. But because we see our politics through that prism that's all that matters to a lot of people anymore. And that's where it really is difficult. So um, so hopefully we're going to get back to the point where we can talk about things again, maybe because I talked a little bit too much about the 100 episode thing that that did, um, you know, take some time up. So, you know, it is what it is. But hey, it's my show. I'm going to do what I want, right? Okay. All right, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Thank you for joining us on The Moderate Podcast this week. Remember to visit our website at themoderatepodcast.com. Our blog is there. Our merch store is there. So if you want to get some, um, you know, Moderate Podcast merch, it's there. Um, I may actually put a 100-episode collection up there. I don't know. Probably not. I probably won't have time to do that. But um, you want to you check out the past episodes that I talked about in the first segment of the show, you can go check them out there as well. So again... Thank you for joining us on the show. Our our social media uh, is all on the website as well. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, it's all there. Um, So just check it out. That's the easiest way to get to it. So until next week, we're going to get back to normal. We're going to get back to a regular show. Probably talking more about this crap anyway, but we'll hopefully get to some other things too on the Marauder Podcast. So thanks for joining us. Let's Here's to another 100 episodes and hopefully many more than that. Until then, keep it real.